0: I preached on 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for the second time this Sunday. The first time we were only able to cover the first half, so most of the content this time was unique. But it built on the foundation of what came before. And I said last week that I was really surprised and pleased at how well the message was received, given that it is a uh, a chapter that really corrects not just ancient Corinthian culture, but our culture today. After this time, where we were talking about marriage and divorce and sexual exercise and all this, I did get one person pushing back saying, I'm not telling good news. And uh, I don't like people who refuse to receive critique or consider that they might be wrong. And so I've spent The days since, considering if I indeed haven't been telling the good news enough, I'd like to invite you to listen through this and determine for yourself uh, and get back to me if you like on if you think there's good news here. And as a spoiler alert, I do think there is good news in what I proclaimed um, namely, that our spirits, our lives are not enslaved to our immediate circumstances but that through the new life we have in Christ Jesus, we are given an eternal life that extends far beyond the present moment. And that is liberating. You know, I I think that's really a, a core key part of the gospel. I think the larger concern is, should I feel good when I'm receiving good news? And it seems quite obvious to many people that, yes, I should be feeling good. I think that whether or not one feels good is determined in large part by whether or not they are living lives of obedience to Christ's commandments. And so I think there are a number of people who, when they receive the truth and the good news of Christ Jesus, don't feel good because their lives are not in conformity with Christ Jesus. And then there are a number of people, you know, I would like to think that it If I were sitting in the pews receiving the message that I proclaimed in this podcast that you're about to listen to, I would like to think that even though it chastens me, it's medicine that I need and rejoice in. So those are just my meditations and reflections at this point. I I am to talk to the person more about the critique and how it is that I can preach earnestly on the contents of these chapters in the Bible, yeah, I don't want to be any more negative than I have to be or hurtful than I have to be. But a lot of times, you know, I think it was Spurgeon who said that when you throw a rock at a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one it hit, you know. And so uh, I, I I think that is often true. It's not always true. I think sometimes, you know, the person who stands in defense, it's not for themselves. It's for others, you know, or because they really do think I'm wrong, you know. So I'm going to continue to pray on this and think about it. Um, but you know, just so you know, this is one of the reasons why preaching is a daunting task, and it's not for the faint of heart. You really have to consider, okay, what are my motives? Am I behaving unnecessarily in some way? So I share all that with you, not to get anybody up in arms about. I mean, of course, someone's going to have a problem with things that I preach. That's that's the name of the game. I. I more lift this up to you so that you know that I know that this is a concern, and so I'm not just some uh, autocrat spouting off whatever I want, and I get no pushback. I do get pushback, and so I, I I do this. I say these things because I think they're that important, so I hope you receive them like they're that important, because if they weren't that important, they wouldn't be in the Bible. That's enough rambling. I hope you enjoy the podcast. God bless you. Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. We've been preaching on one chapter a week, uh, with the exception of last week, for some time. As a general reminder, Corinth was a a thoroughly Roman cosmopolitan, upper-class, worldly city. Am I saying something wrong? Okay. A lot of maritime trade and commerce, a lot of concern for worldly status and wealth and pleasure, Paul is writing because these home churches that are networked together, they were planted by him and he has built these people up and yet they're turning against one another because of leaders in the church who are permitting them to be worldly. In fact, it seems that they don't even understand the distinction between what worldliness is and what the the culture of the kingdom of heaven is. And he's having to spell it out very clearly for them started off mocking them for aligning with different leaders in the church. He said the only leader that matters is Jesus, first off. Secondly, anyone who is starting some kind of following with loyalists, um, that's a worldly leadership. He says, I'm the one that, that planted you, but Apollos watered, but it's God who gives the growth. He said he's not going to lord it over them the way that other philosophical teachers did. You've got the sophists, you've got the the epicureans you got the stoics they're all the, he said "Nope, i came to you preaching christ and him crucified that's it i came to you in weakness so he holds up worldly wisdom against god's foolishness and do you remember which wins between those two god's foolishness beats worldly wisdom a hundred times out of a hundred no no contest So, he he spits on their notion of wisdom and respectability, and then, most recently, he got into human sexuality. In the Roman Empire, they had a number of norms that would be described, you know, nowadays it would be normal in our culture, but back then it was quite lascivious by Hebrew Jewish standards and then also by Christian standards. Uh, Paul is very clear that Jesus, the New Covenant, you know, Jesus was very clear. Did he come to change the law or cancel the law? No, he came to fulfill the law, right? Children, what does the law of God require? That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Good. So that's the law written upon our hearts. We have the law of God stated in the Ten Commandments, and then we have the law of love solidified in the gospel, which Paul preached. And that has huge implications for our relationships, especially any relationships involving sexuality. He's been very clear about the right covenant relationships for that. And I shouldn't say ships because there's only one. It's the marital covenant. And so we talked about that last week. And then where we're picking up this week, what we're dealing with here is what Christian missionaries have dealt with as for 2,000 years. They bring the pure gospel to an impure culture and then have to figure out how to move the culture from where it is to where Christ is. And that's messy, right? Because there are some things in some cultures that don't offend the Lord and they can stay pretty much as they are. They just need a new understanding of why they're doing what they're doing. There are other things that need to radically change. And so with respect to how they did uh, marriage and sexuality in ancient Roman culture, a lot needed to change. There were a lot of norms that needed to be dealt with and navigated And Paul could be very black and white sometimes, and other times he can kind of uh, go into the mud with people and say, okay, it's kind of complicated here. You can do this or you can do this. Either way. Today, he does the complicated stuff. So we we want like a a clear black and white two-dimensional rule, always do this. In this situation, always do this. He doesn't do that. Paul does not do that for us today. Rather, he says, here are the principles... Here are the things that we value, so with that in mind, looking at the culture how it is, do this. So you can do this or you can do this, both are acceptable. There are a lot that's unacceptable. You can do multiple things here. So we're talking about Christian principles today, and I need to make sure on the front end, everybody understands me when I say, if our notion is that the Bible boils down to a set of principles that you can give people and they don't need to read the Bible to live in a way that pleases God, That does not exist. So the Bible does contain certain principles. God does choose to behave some ways reliably and call us to do the same. But you cannot boil down the Bible to a set of principles. So we live in a culture that for a long time has wanted to believe that we can have a country that lives by Christian principles without reading the Bible and knowing what's in it. That's a ridiculous notion. If you live by Christian principles but you don't know and live your Bible then you are lost. Doesn't matter how good you live, that's works righteousness. There's no such thing as Christian principles in that sense. But when we're talking about how we govern ourselves in relationships, then yeah, the scriptures point in a direction of a set of principles that need to be consistent in all of our relationships. The two I was thinking of uh, that are clearly coming out of this are self-denial. My life is not about me. Uh, Kids, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong to God. So our, we already talked about what what is the law of God require. That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. Our lives are not our own. Our lives are directed outwards towards God and others. So that is a consistent Christian principle in all our relationships. Another one is there is a day coming, the day of the Lord, where all this is going to end. And we need to have that eternal vision of what lies on the other side. If we have that eternal vision of what lies on the other side, if we have self-denial and realize we're not the center of the story, then that orients all our relationships, even and especially our marriage. But if we don't have those principles, then the Bible is just going to seem like weird gobbledygook to us because it makes no sense if you don't live by those principles. So I've done enough talking without actually reading the word. Let's start in verse 25. This is where we left off last week. Now about virgins. So virgins are uh, young women that haven't been married and haven't been intimate with a male. So they are uh, candidates for becoming wives, right? Concerning virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who is by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So he's doing this messy thing where he's saying this is not automatically the way you should do. There are some choices that can be made based on situations on the ground. He's not saying here's my opinion do with it what you want he's not saying that he's saying the Lord has not provided a clear you always do this so let's get messy let's let's wade into these waters just so you know as we're wading into this the Roman practice around virgins and young ladies was it was very common that girls before they were even able to produce children were betrothed to a man who would marry them once they were of age And what that would do is a man who was betrothed was already given legal status as a married man and given certain rights and community that he didn't have otherwise. So uh, a husband could be patient in marrying a wife who usually they would get married when she was mid teenage years because the purpose of marriage back then was not emotional intimacy, wasn't physical intimacy, it was the creation of children. We talked about this last week. So men understood that their wives were just there to make babies for them. They were broodmares, pretty much. But then they had other people that could fulfill their desires for emotional... You know, they, they fulfilled their uh, emotional needs with usually other men. The, their, their relationships were, had intimate friendships. And then any sexual desires they had with slaves or prostitutes. That's, that was very common in Roman society. And so when he's talking about virgins here, he's just talking about... Uh, young ladies that are being prepared for getting married. And what do you do with these girls in the church? Verse 26, Because of the present crisis, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. Remain as he is means single, unmarried, not not behaving sexually in any way. So there is a crisis going on, and he says nothing else about it in the rest of the book. And some translators think he's talking about The day of the Lord is coming soon. It's going to be any day now. That doesn't really make sense because Paul wouldn't even write this letter if Jesus was going to be there, if he just thought everything's falling apart already. And he wouldn't be talking about coming and visiting them three or four years down the line. That wouldn't be the case. So it seems there are some historians that look at this and they realize, well, hey, there was a grain shortage about this time in this region and so there was a famine in the land and we live in a very privileged time where unless you were around in the great depression we've had plenty to eat generally ever since then but famines would cause absolute chaos in the roman empire at this time so they could be living in a very unstable time where hey we're trying to worship jesus rightly we got these young vulnerable ladies do we tie them to these men Whose lives may fall apart, or do we keep them in their father's house where there's some stability? That could be what he's talking about. I mean, in, in a case it needs a modern application, by now we've all heard of global warming, right? Warning, warming. So many young people are so worried about global warming right now; they're not having children. They're saying, "Why would I bring a, a child into a world like this where there's crisis?" You know. And so, whether or not you believe in global warming, you see the terror that comes on people about it. There's some kind of crisis going on right now where Paul is giving permission. Hey, if you're anxious, you do not have to get married. You don't have to start this family. You don't have to start a new relationship. You can remain single. Verse 27. Are you pledged to a woman? He's talking to a man. Are you pledged? Are you betrothed? Do you already have this legal status? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Then don't look for a wife. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned, And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. So he's getting in the nitty gritty. There are people who, you know, there's not a decision to make. They've already made a decision. They're already married. He already talked to them, said, don't get out of your marriage. However you are, however the Lord called you, stay that way. He's already talked about it. But there are people in this liminal place in between. They're not married yet. But they're not single anymore either and he's saying hey you can go either way and be holy last week in the first uh, half of chapter seven what was the main reason he said that you really should get married yeah if you're burning with passion if you if you have that high drive and you're going nuts and you're going to misbehave if you don't have an outlet that's what marriage is for but he's saying if at all possible if you're not that passionate If it's just a little temptation every now and again, but you can weather that, better not to get married. There's a lot of trials that come with marriage. We're going to talk about this. He said, I would spare you this at the end of verse 28. At verse 29, he says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. Now, here's the language that clearly is talking about the day of the Lord is coming sometime soon. Jesus, Paul, none of the apostles knew when the day was coming. They just knew they were living in the last days. They did not anticipate the last days would be going on for another 1,900 years where we are today. They thought it was coming quicker. They did. That's not a problem for us because Jesus himself says he didn't know for sure when the time would come. So this doesn't throw off anything. We've been in the last days for a long time. But Paul is saying, hey, we're living in the last days right now. The time is short. That's what he means by that. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. So this is a weird portion because just a few lines ago, in the portion we covered last week, he was talking about your job, if you're married, is to make your spouse happy. You are their person. Your body is not your own, right? You remember he said that? It belongs to your wife or your husband, depending on if you're a man or a woman. So he says that, and then he says, from now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. That doesn't fit together, does it? So this is one of those portions you have to look at and go, okay, either Paul was schizophrenic and we've all been pretending for 2,000 years that he's not, or there's a way to fit these things together that require for us to be a little more nuanced and patient. And what I would say is that that last sentence tells us how to interpret all those things. It says, uh, this world in its present form is passing away. He's talking to a culture that is worldly, and they think this world is all there is. They're thinking of their pleasure, their wants, their needs, because you only live once, and then you're dead, and it's over. And he's saying it's the opposite. Eternity exists. You need to have that eternal mind. So they're at this extreme over here where they're all about this world, this marriage, my money, my happiness. They're all about that. And he's wanting to get them in this middle place. So he's shooting over here. You know what a pendulum is? It swings from one extreme to the other. They're at this extreme, and he's shooting over here. But he doesn't really, he's not trying to get them here where they're just going, I have a wife? I had no idea. He's trying to get them here where they have wives that they're satisfying and taking care of, but they're also realizing my my life is not about my wife. They have jobs, and they're participating in the marketplace, but they're realizing my trust is not in the economy. They have good things that happen, but their comfort is not in those good things. They have bad things that happen, and they are not discouraged because of those bad things. Rather, they have a healthy, it's not a detachment, but a distance from this world. We're in this world, but we're not of it. You've heard that saying before, right? And that means we can love people here, but not like we love him. We can be invested in things here, but not like we're invested in the kingdom. When it comes between those two, let it be known. Anyone who is in Christ, we draw our comfort, our joy from him. We put our trust in him alone. All this stuff, all these people, they're fine, but we don't put our trust and our hope in them. Am I, am I speaking clearly enough so that I'm understood? Jesus loved the people around him, but he didn't trust them further than he can throw them, right? Right? Peter, Paul, the rest of them, they loved each other. They enjoyed the fellowship of the saints. Even so, they're hoping their trust wasn't in the church. It was in their Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we're supposed to live. Where do you get your trust? Children, what is idolatry? Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator. The world forms idolaters. The world wants us to take our joy, our comfort, put our trust in this world. Paul is correcting that. He's saying, nope, if you have these affections, pretend you don't. You need to get some distance from that because this world is passing away. If you're clinging to this world when it's passing away, then you're going to pass away too. And that's a decision you have to make. Do you want to be married to this world or do you want to be a citizen of the next? Because the two don't fit. They don't. You cannot love Jesus and love this world. Not in that way. Let's move on. Verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's... Affairs how he can please the Lord but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world how he can please his wife and his interests are divided so remember you were bought at a price right Christ Jesus blood on the cross purchased your body right your body is a temple of the Lord but also your body is not your own it belongs to your spouse you remember how we talked about that last week is your spouse God Are some people confused about this no this that was an easy softball question is your spouse god no so your body belongs to god and to your spouse and they are not the same person so that means that life is complicated we've had some people here who are married is there a way to share your life with somebody and be totally unconcerned with them no not unless you're a sociopath in which case you should not be married you need some attention If you are sharing your life with somebody, then you care about how they are. Because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Happy wife? Happy spouse? Yeah, we have these sayings because it is universally true. You are impacted by your spouse. And when you get married, you are rolling the dice. Because you don't know who they're going to turn into. You can't control them. In fact... If you try and control them, it often goes the wrong way, right? You are rolling the dice. Marriage is a risk you only take if you have to. That is not what our culture teaches, is it? Our culture teaches, oh, man, marriage is the best. They're your soulmate. They're everything to you. They're your best friend. They're your buddy in bed. They're all the things. And if it doesn't work out, you can just toss them out. Get a new one. The scripture says the opposite scripture says this is your person fulfill your bodily needs and if you get more than that great But this person affects your life and you need to make wise decisions about if you want to be a sexual person and roll that die or if you can practice self-control and make your life about God because you know, people look at this time period and go, men didn't care about women. There is no way that's true. When you cohabitate in a household with a wife that is unhappy, nobody's happy. It doesn't matter if it's 2,000 years ago or 2,000 seconds ago. When you're a man and you're responsible for your wife and she is miserable, there is no worse feeling. Other than damnation in God's eyes, of course. But even if we say, oh, I don't, you know, there, well, we live in an age where women say, I don't need a man. I don't care what my man thinks. Yes, you do. If you're married, you've made that decision. You've chosen to cohabitate, share a life together. You don't get to be tied to someone. He said when we bind our bodies together, our spirits are together as well, right? He said that last week. He says it earlier in the chapter. You don't then get to say, oh, I don't care how they're doing. I can be just fine with God and, you know, she's crazy. I don't care about her. Your role with your spouse directly impacts your relationship with everybody else. And so we talked last week about how important it is that you feel the weight and the responsibility of that right now if you're married. So that you are pleasing your spouse because in pleasing your spouse, you are glorifying God, right? And that's not just sexually. That's make sure that you are doing all that you can to make sure that your spouse is happy. Do what you can to bless them, purify them, don't worship them but serve them as as Christ serves us, you know. A man who is married is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Is that true, wife? Yeah. Yeah. I have an excellent wife, by the way. She takes great care of me. She loves pleasing me. She loves when she sits down at the table and makes a meal that me and the kids are like, this is really good. She loves pleasing her husband. Even so, sometimes I'm a jerk, and I need to be good to her, and she needs to be good to me, and hopefully we cannot hinder each other in our walk with God. But there are a lot of people who don't even have a marriage comes close to that, and so these are written so that people can go, hey, I should be doing better for my spouse. And so some other people who are not married yet go, do I really need this? Do I really need this? And I know, you know, there are people running around saying, hey, we're not at replacement value. We need to all be having kids. That is not the Christian prerogative. That is not a Christian concern. If you don't have to get married, what Paul is saying is don't do it. If you're burning with passion, be wise about doing it if you can be. But if you don't have to be married, don't be married. If it's not, if you can just have good friendships and holy bonds, then, I mean, we have a culture right now around us that's like, oh, that's weird if somebody doesn't get married. Uh, it's especially weird if they don't get married and they don't have a sexual partner. But that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, just be a holy celibate. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. He said, I wish all, everybody could be like I am. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's an ideal way to be. Worldly people think you're weird. Jesus doesn't. Verse 35, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you might live in a right way, an undivided devotion to the Lord. Just think for a moment how wonderful it would be to have a life where you really don't have to worry about a spouse and you can just serve God all day, every day, and you know your life pleases Him. Guys, I tried to spend three hours yesterday reading to prepare for today's sermon, I could not get it done constant need in my household constant need this kid needs this my wife gets fed up with the kids she wants me to step in i couldn't get it done i had to wake up this morning early and finish it giving undivided attention to the lord you single people do not realize how blessed you are until you lose that and then you don't get it back unless you turn into a bad person and leave your commitments If you could have a life where you're devoted to God and pleasing Him continually, wouldn't that be such a blessed life? And I'm not saying that to disrespect my life with my wife. It's a great life that we've got, but it's hard to grow closer to God. It really is. Paul said, I would spare you from that. I would have you live in bliss and joy all your life, serving God continually. Um... We're at verse 36 i think if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry he should do as he wants he is not sinning they should get married so this is one of these messy situations he's not married yet but he's betrothed he could step out or he could step in if he wants to step in he's saying he's not sinning verse 37 but the man who has settled the matter in his own mind who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. If you resolve to just be a a holy celibate person, that's good too. He's saying you can do either one. Verse 38, So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. So there are two acceptable ways to live in God's sight. There's one better. It's actually better to be a holy celibate Sarah Beth and I knew this before we got married we had a conversation and said I'm kind of burning with passion, are you? And yeah so we got married and we feel good about that but there are other people that make that decision just because that's what everybody is doing and that's really not a good reason to do it if at all possible, Paul says it's better to be a holy celibate now what did he say if you're already married? no take backsies you're married be holy in your marriage but if you're not married yet Soberly consider that decision. You see how countercultural this is? Verse 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. So there's two countercultural things in this one. We live in a culture that's like, oh, your spouse, it's an eternal bond that you make when you get married. Your marriage goes on forever into eternity. And the Bible's like, no, it's just a lifelong, not just, I mean, it's a big deal. But it ends at death. You know, Jesus said in, in the kingdom, they're neither married nor given in marriage. That actually still hurts me at this point because I really like my wife. But the, the thing is, you know, if you're in a bad marriage, it don't last forever. It doesn't. And that's, you know, when you have that eternal vision that there is something go on forever and it's not this, then that's what allows him to say, if you're in a bad marriage, stay. If you're a slave, stay. This is temporary. And also the countercultural thing here is, your spouse is not your all. You're not your everything, not your soulmate. Soulmate is not a Christian concept, okay? That is rom-com silliness, okay? If you've been married, you have good spots, you have bad spots. You have times where you really intersect well. You have times where you hate each other almost. It's it's rough. But that doesn't bother you when you realize, hey, this is just my person that God has given me for my, my outlet, my engagement. In that case, you realize that there are other people that you need to have in your life. We got a real weird time. I know I've been talking for a bit. I want you to hear me on this. I'm part of the weirdness. Our culture, pretty much nobody has close friends anymore, especially men. Men generally do not have close friends anymore. When you read the Bible in the Old Testament, it was regular that men were kissing each other on the lips. In the early church, when they shared in the kiss of peace, they kissed on the lips, okay? They were regularly in each other's bubbles. Y'all know me. Do I have a bubble? Yes, I do. It's a very firm bubble. But that's weird about me and my culture. In ancient cultures, global cultures around the world, people have close, intimate friendships with people that are not sexual. You know, I remember when I played football, and uh, when someone made a good play, we'd come up and we'd pat them on the butt. You do that in life to a guy and that's gay right you know that uh, the people are like what's he doing that well you know there's just an intimacy that comes with playing sports where you're just not even thinking about that you're not even worried about that you just you love each other and you're patting each other and we have this very weird culture that's like you got anything intimate you do it in your house in your home blinds drawn with your spouse and that's your person for everything and no that's not it you know have intimate, vulnerable relationships with friends, healthy ones, not ones that get weird and and you cross boundaries, just ones where you're not putting all this pressure on your spouse. You ever feel that pressure as a spouse? I got to be everything to this lady. You know, Sarah Beth's really good to me. She used to put a lot of pressure on me. And then, you know what, sisters, y'all do a really good job helping me keep my wife happy. And I thank you for that. Because no one person, and even all of us together, cannot make that lady happy because we are not made to be made happy by other people. We have a God-shaped hole in us that can only be filled by God. And when we try and shove people in there, it don't work. So the number one thing is being right with God. The number two thing is having right relationships in our life. Not putting too much pressure on our spouse, but serving our spouse Loving our spouses, Christ loves us, and allowing for them not to be God in our life. You know, this is is such a big thing, undoing the programming that we were all born into. I watch The Princess Bride like everybody else. It's propaganda, okay? That's not how, that's not what life is about. Life is about God. It's about serving others. And marriage can be a wonderful blessing. It can also be a curse. It's not the center of life. Verse 39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes but must belong to the Lord. That was the final part that's also countercultural. We live in a culture that says it doesn't matter what you believe. If you have love, you'll make it work. That is a fantasy fairy tale that's foolishness. It absolutely matters what your partner believes. If they believe something different from you, just be prepared for either making your religion something surface-level and inoffensive, which it's not created to be, or... Having a miserable marriage. Your faith is the most important thing in your life. And you mean to tell me it's not important that you share your faith with your spouse? That is fooey. That's ridiculousness. Now, that's not to say if you don't share it that your, your marriage is no good. He's already told you, stay in the marriage. But it's going to be a challenge. He says, you know, uh, these are ladies that came to Christ in their first marriage. They were married to who they were married. If they're going to get remarried, it should only be with a believer. Verse 40, in my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is. By that, he means a single celibate. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. He says that because he knows there are people on the scene who are speaking against him. They're saying, I have the Holy Spirit, and y'all can do whatever you want in bed. He's saying, I have the Holy Spirit. You need to listen to me. So, next week, we go on to food sacrifice to idols. We're done talking about uh, pornea. Uh, That's been the broad category here. But... I hope that this is, these two weeks that we've had, I hope that, that these principles of self-denial and an eternal vision with reference to your relationships, I hope that's something that you hold on to. And I know there are some people who hear this and they go, that's really weird. I don't think that works. And the confrontational question I would ask to you is, well, how is our current framework working? Do we have a lot of happy marriages in our culture? Do we have a lot of people whose marriages are bringing them closer to Christ? Do we have a lot of people who have a joyful home? You know, I mean, I look around us and I just see destruction in America. And I see a lot of Christians who want to do better, but they don't know how. And they read chapter 7 here and they go, that's really weird. I don't know how to implement that in my life. So come back to it. Read it some more. We record all the sermons. They're on our podcast. But go ahead and reconsider. Even if you have a healthy, happy marriage, it's still good just to make sure it stays healthy and happy. And just because you're happy doesn't mean you can't be better. So, maintain that humility. Sarah Beth, is there anything... Have I, like, scandalized myself by behaving as a hypocrite and talking about any of this stuff? Is Sarah Beth a liar? Okay, so I'm feeling pretty good about this. I think we went through a minefield pretty good. And then I just want to urge y'all... Uh, you know, you're know, you not going to be like, oh, Jeffrey, everything he says is perfect, and I need to change my life, and I wouldn't have you be that way. The way I would have you be is it was written down for my salvation. I'm going to integrate this into my life. Even if Jeffrey's an idiot, and I'm fine if you think I'm an idiot, but do not write off what's in the Bible with respect to your relation. Well, with, any, with respect to anything. We got a deal? Let's stand and sing about how important it is to trust and obey. Number 467.